Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. I am your host today and I'm joined as usual by my colleagues Tyra Marshall and Samuel Lucas. Samuel, how are you today? Very well, thank you, Stephen. Very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad myself. Thank you very much. And Ty, how are you? Yeah, good, Stephen. The, the sun is shining and this season is almost, almost over. Thank God we've been waiting for it. We've been counting down the days and the weeks and Sellers Park on Sunday is United's final game of the season. It's finally came around. Um, we'll just get into some transfer news first then, ahead of the match at the weekend. Samuel, you've wrote a few lines this week. I'm just asking about the fallback situation to begin with. You've wrote that Diego Dallo is likely to stay at the club. That's United's preference. And that Wan-Bissaka, uh, United are open to relieving him of his duties. So what's the latest on the transfer news with the fallbacks then, Samuel? Well, we, we were only just saying at Carrington earlier that it's it's literally seven weeks today until we leave for the pre-season tour. So the, the summers get shorter and a hell of a lot will happen during that time. And as, as you said there, in terms of outgoings, uh, that there have been players that have uh, sought clarity on, on their future. And I think some of us have already written about Wan-Bissak and that United were open selling him. And then yesterday it, it seemed to get a lot more traction because um, because Sky did it and phrased it as breaking news, which I think was just their way of kind of like, the, the way I saw it was that it, it's been more directly communicated to Wan-Bissak's camp that uh, he's just not part of Ten Hag's plans and Ten Hag has been getting his feet under the table this week. Um, the the reporter who broke the news, uh, I, I believe he yeah, from history, he's, he's had a decent relationship in terms of uh, uh, communicating with with Wamsaka's representative as well. So I, I imagine that's where it's where it's come from. It's not something that United would go out there and and breathe at all. Uh, but since that came out yesterday on on a day off for me, which didn't feel like a day off in the end. Uh, it was just a case of checking some other situations. And as, as I've written this morning, uh, Dallow's been told for now he is in United's plans. The, the, the caveat that's always added is that, say someone, some club decides to bid £30 million for him, which they're not going to, uh, clearly. It would, it would be a bolt from the blue if they did. Then obviously you have to have a conversation there. But the fact that it's out there that Wan-Bissaka, uh, it's abundantly clear that Wan-Bissaka is for sale and on his way out. It doesn't make a lot of sense for United to get rid of another right back. Uh, I think Dallo will be seen as, uh, you know, one to compete with a fullback if a fullback does come in. But the fact that they're also open to listening to offers for Brandon Williams as well would suggest that unless they have a plan in place that one of the internal academy fullbacks breaks through and into the first team, it, they're, they're leaving themselves short there at fullback. They, they would have three fullbacks in Dallo, uh, Tellez, and. And, and Luke Shaw, which is insufficient, and and also the, the quality is is not is not the required standard as well. They they need a, a fallback, and if they can get rid of two, and they've put the the feelers out quite early, and that it's it's now known that that two of them are for sale, but they're willing to to let two of them go. You've got leverage there um, to go out there and get yourself um, a, a new fallback, but that's. I mean, the, the standards that have been set by the best Premier League fullbacks in recent years are, are so high. I mean, Alexander-Arnold, he, he has he has raised the bar for attacking right-backs as, as Danny Alves had done before him. I think watching some, some of Rhys James's performances recently, there's, there's a compelling case that he should actually be starting for England at the World Cup. I think he's maybe a more a more complete player than Alexander-Arnold, but he's a very good defender. Alexander-Arnold's not a good defender. He's, he's a world-class attacker, but 
he has his limitations in defence. And Cancelo is another one at City, um, obviously not English, but he's, he's a playmaking fullback. And although Luke Shaw, I thought, was excellent last season, um, he's he, he's not kicked on. He's had a really poor season, unfortunately, for him. And he probably still, even last season, wasn't at the level that you need um, from your other fullbacks. And in the case of Wan-Bissaka, um, it's, it's just panned out as quite a lot of us thought it would really he, he was a winger converted to a fullback his personality um was just not aligned with what Manchester United want from new signings or from their players and sometimes you just have to look at a certain number um and I think at during his time at United he's had 10 assists in nearly three almost three seasons now Alexander Arnold's got 19 assists for this season alone uh it's just incomparable it's, it's strange to think there, there have been periods in Wamsaka's career where there was this almost this outrage from United fans online that he wasn't getting in the England squad and that's not to say that he didn't have good periods for United because he did but he was he just wasn't at the standard that they needed and the 804 long list probably didn't do him any favours either. It's become a problematic area, hasn't it, fullback? But there's not positions at United that haven't become problematic. It's been that much of a bad season. Ty in the Samoa kind of talked about um David De Gea and Dean Henderson and that saga kind of got a bit tiring, didn't it? And it's this season, Henderson's been on the bench. Newcastle have kind of got an interest in Henderson again for the summer. Got Obviously, those talks kind of collapsed in January. Do you think, and I saw you write a lunch piece, Ty, I think, around De Gea and saying that he kind of has to prove himself again. Do you think that's the case then? Because there is question marks over his distribution, despite having such a world-class season as a shot stopper. Yeah, I... I don't think there'll be a change this summer. Um, I mean, as Sonia wrote yesterday, and you know, it looks like Henderson is is off to Newcastle, and that's a pretty obvious move. I mean, he's 25 now; he's incredibly ambitious. He was never gonna, you know, he'd have been he'd have been few minutes you hung around this season and not kicked the ball in the Premier League. So I think he was always going to leave. Um, he's been very unfortunate, really. I think he would have started the season as number one, and De Gea could quite easily have. Have left the club. You know, Solskjaer was open to selling or loaning out De Gea last summer when it seemed that Henderson was going to be number one. And it, you know, it's funny how this sort of fate intervenes and Henderson gets COVID. And now we're, we're talking about De Gea as you know he's, he's only going to finish second to Cristiano Ronaldo in, in Player of the Year voting, I would think. And he's had a really good season. And I think because of that, he will obviously start the season as, as Ten Hag's number one. Like you say, there's enough issues on Ten Hag's plate for him to be dropping a Player of the Year. That's just not going to happen. So I think De Gea will get next season. But like like you said, he, he doesn't feel a natural fit for a Ten Hag team. He doesn't really feel a natural fit for any modern coaches team, really. Um, you know, we were in Toronto yesterday and Enrique dropping him from the Spain squad and, and picking David Raya and, and Robert Sanchez gets in above him. And they're two goalkeepers playing for Brighton and Brentford who are, you know, they're, they're reasonable Premier League goalkeepers, but they're both valued more highly by Luis Enrique because they're better with their feet and they're more aggressive with their positioning. And I think that is what De Gea has got to prove. It it feels to me like he's an old-fashioned goalkeeper. I spoke to Eric Steele before the Atletico Madrid game to do a piece on De Gea's sort of return there and put that to, to Steele. And he was, you know, he was adamant that he's not an old-fashioned goalkeeper. He can show you great distribution from his first couple of years, but he's not asked to do it. But it does feel now like the game has moved on, really. And, and the the rules of engagement for goalkeepers have changed with Allison and Edison. And, you know, Raya's probably the best in the league with his feet, maybe. Um, I think when Brentford played Liverpool not so long ago, Klopp basically said they got a number 10 in goal 
Um, so good was his passing, and I don't, I, you know, De Gea just doesn't give you that. So I think this, you know, I think he'll clearly start next season as number one, and will play next season, the whole of next season as number one. But next summer, when Ten Hag's already has a summer transfer window and a January window, if if De Gea is not the man, that's the time I think to assess the goalkeeping situation. Now, for the listeners who are obviously not going to see the clips that are going out on social media, Samuel's looking very smart today. He's been at the press conference and he's got his suit on. And Samuel, at that press conference... So, so did Ty as well. I, 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 but I don't know if he... I, I think Ty had a coat on earlier. I don't know if he was dressed down underneath or whether he was dressed up for it, but didn't, didn't want to show uh, off. I went, for, I went, for the, went for the polo shirt, but I, um, I could not compete with Samuel's, uh, Samuel's suit. I don't have a suit that dapper, so I... I was going to uh, say, who's the more stylish? Shirt, yeah. sat well away from me, yeah. <laughs> It takes the fashion there, uh, the crown then. Um, but at that press conference, Samuel, obviously, Rania kind of revealed that he has WhatsApped and touched base with Ten Hag. What's that conversation going to go down like when he do when they do sit down and have a proper chat? Well, if it, if we're going off what Rangnick's been saying to us all season, then hopefully it will be quite um, quite blunt and, and analytical and, and no holds barred. I mean, Rangnick's not really got anything to lose, really. Um even if United say they, they didn't like the cut of his jib, it's not as if he's jobless at all. He's, he's got the Austria national uh, team job to fall back on. You'd imagine the amount of time he's been in the game, he's in a comfortable position. And really, there's there is an acceptance at United that they they do need to um, need to have a major rebuild, and that almost everything Rangnick has said from their perspective has been pretty sound. I, I think he did um, he did un, unsettle them a little bit with the striker. Um, chatter a couple of weeks ago um, when he went through the the fact that he wants a striker, he didn't get a striker, and there was maybe uh, you know I was I was told the following day at Brighton that he wanted to clarify something that he'd said, even though I think he'd clarified enough during the press conference, the pre-match press conference that um, that is, and obviously given the way it panned out at Brighton, him clarifying comments about not getting a striker weren't exactly at the top of anyone's priority list. But I think he's due to meet Ten Hag. As he said, uh, if not this weekend, then then Monday. I think Ten Hag is due to be in Manchester next week, unsurprisingly. And when we were pitch side for the Youth Cup last week, we, John Murta was there very briefly and he talked about wanting, a, wanting to draw a line under the season already, even though there's still one more game to go at Crystal Palace. But it's, it's interesting, I suppose. Rangit Rang didn't really amplify on what they discuss as, as far as his consultancy role uh, will go and what the nuances of that may be. So he, he I think what he said today, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember actually because he didn't say much about it at all, but it felt like he, he still used a lot of words around it. But the nuances as to how he's going to advise United and, and Ten Hag, um, you know, whether we'll actually get any clarification on that from, from Ten Hag, uh, at, at some point soon remains to be seen. I, I still suppose there's an element of thrashing it out as to what Rangnick gets involved in, but he's he's outlined quite a lot already. And he's although his press conferences have been great by and large, he is also repeating himself quite a lot in terms of what he thinks, uh, why he thinks it's it's not rocket science as he said to us, and what can happen and what should happen. And he's still standing by this two or three transfer windows and. I suppose maybe Mr. Trick asked him whether he meant a winter transfer window in that or whether he meant three summers, because obviously that's a, a massive, massive um, difference if if he does does mean three summer transfer windows. 
as opposed to, to three in succession. But he did say in January, I think um, at his first press conference of January, it was an unsustainable time for signing players. Uh, so I, I suspect he means three, two or three summer windows. But, you know, it, it feels like it's very much all, all on Ten Hag now. The fact that he's going to be there at the game on Sunday, although Rangnick, he'll have his Sunday quotes that come out at... Um, a half ten on Saturday night, um, and I'm sure there'll be something in that that you know, supporters can get stuck into. Uh, it's it's not Ten Hag's team, but he's he's going to be there on Sunday. You'd imagine there will be some kind of a, a reaction from certain players who are playing, given that you know their their next boss is going to be right there and you know, potentially meeting them as well. It, it wouldn't be a surprise, but I, I suspect that Ten Hag will be respectful of the fact that. It's it's Rangnick's final match in charge of United, and he'll you know, keep himself at arm's length for the time being until next week when he officially starts as Manchester United manager. That leads us nicely into my next question, Ty. Because I was going to say, obviously, Ten Hag is at Salos Park on Sunday, or he will be. Um, what players will be looking? Do you think the catches either most? So, do you think I'll rephrase that question? What players have a point to prove the most? And that's also a bit of a stupid question. And which players will kind of benefit from working from Ten Hag the most? I think you've kind of touched on the, the past podcast. Maybe Rashford or Sancho will benefit from working with a tactically astute coach for the first time in, what, three years? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I made a point on earlier this week that, that this this team basically haven't had elite-level coaching to the extent that you're seeing at City, at Liverpool, at Chelsea, at Tottenham. You know, they haven't had that for three years, really, because it wasn't Sarsgaard's bag. And it wasn't, and, and it clearly hasn't been Ranić's bag, even though he, he probably thought it was when he when he came in. Um, so I think there's players there that will benefit from it, like Rashford and Sancho. I think Fred have been starts obviously not started for a while at fifth ten Hag player, um, and will have plenty to offer. The the fullbacks as well, presumably Dallo and Tellers will will start. Um, Dallo, you know, I, I feel like it'd be a risk for Dallo to go in at as first choice right back next season. I think what. The, the fact they're so clear in letting Wambasaka go makes me think they are they are going to sign a right back or have got a right back lined up um, to to go and sign and then left back left back's a position you can you can hold fire on I think because of Shaw coming back but Tellez hasn't really convinced so I think he's probably got a point to prove um, yeah that, that's probably it. I mean the players have got to you know they're, they're clearly not been playing for Ranić particularly recently so you'd hope that Ten Hag being there is going to give them some some inspiration it's funny listening to Randy at times it's I still wonder if he realizes quite how big a club he's, he's walked into at times when he talks of his ideas and things like that and he's mentioned this idea now a few times of United you know, need to sign young players and develop them and then sell them on if if needs be and he kind of said it today and then corrected himself to well United aren't a selling club and then I did enjoy when he spoke about the importance of being in the Europa League and comparing you know what Eintracht Frankfurt have achieved to what United can achieve and and things like that. It does feel a bit of a disconnect at times. Like he's not, he still can't get his head around the idea that you know when you when you're looking at the next title winning team, hopefully under Ten Hag. I'm not sure how many of those players that are involved on Sunday will will actually be involved in it. Probably half at most, you would say. For so look at his kind of work, Samuel at the club across the seven months. Obviously appointed in November as interim manager. This is going to be his last game of the season on Sunday afternoon. Um, I wanted to kind of ask you, what do you think has been the lowest point of that reign? Because there have been quite a few to pick from. Probably Brighton, uh, just because of the 
and I don't think it's, it's disrespect to Brighton because they are a, they are a very good side. But the, the standard of, of opposition, that standard of opposition, should never ever be beating a, a Man United side four nil. And to see that unfold, and it, it felt like to an extent United did did bottom out that day. But then Brighton should have won by a minimum minimum five goals. So you you could see it on the fans' faces that. They, as much as they enjoyed it, obviously because it was their, I think it was their biggest ever top flight win. But they were they were gutted that they didn't get a fifth goal, and they had a couple of chances to to get a fifth goal as well, and, and certainly should have done. And on top of that, you had the uh, you're not fit to wear the shirt chance going on, and that felt more much more meaningful than when they were aired during the the Norwich home game last month. Mainly because United won that day, albeit only because of Ronaldo. It, the atmosphere was was mutinous at the start because of the protests outside. So I think they were up for just picking a fight with with anyone. They they clapped eyes on uh, that day's supporters. But the, the away the away days are the real proper hardcore fans. And one one lad sent me a picture message from uh, Farmer train station at just gone seven o'clock. And bearing in mind the game didn't end for nearly twenty minutes later, I think it was. And he said that there were hundreds on that train. Um, so another fan sent me a video of United fans who retreated to the concourse for a pint and a sing-song. At the time, it was 3-0, and Brighton scored the fourth while they were down there. So they would, they, they, those guys and those girls who were down there were literally drowning their sorrows. And, yeah, I mean, the, I suppose of the actual season overall, the low point has to be 5-0 against Liverpool because that was just a historically bad defeat. Uh, bad doesn't doesn't even do it justice. I mean that Solskjaer should not have been allowed into Carrington the the following day after that. But they were exposed for not having a contingency plan at that point, and that's why he, it was a stay of execution for him. But with Rangnick, he touched upon it again today that after the Atletico game game they they just lost belief because they didn't have anything really to play for this season as far as silverware was concerned. But they weren't going to win the Champions League. Uh, it was no excuse for the way they, frankly, tossed it off in some games, and individual players have certainly tossed it off. I mean, it's it's a very suitable epitaph for Pogba that his last appearance at Old Trafford was him cupping his ear to supporters who were telling him to f off, and his last appearance for United was him limping off ten minutes into a thrashing by Liverpool, with Liverpool already one 0 up at Anfield. So it's easy to see why so many at the club are trying to draw a line under this season. And I think that that line, I mean, it, it is going to be drawn pretty quickly after Sunday. So it's it's already started effectively with the planning that's going on. And there, there, are, plan, there are more plans beyond the actual management side of, of the first team and, and of the playing staff. There, there are changes in, communica- in the communications department that have been pretty well documented. There are changes elsewhere as well. And the staff who are going to be there next season, they, they are desperate for much, just a very different Manchester United to the one that we've encountered as as journalists in, in recent years. And of course, they want a much more different Manchester United to, to the one um, that fans have seen on the pitch as well, which goes without saying. There's obviously been plenty of negatives time. We could talk about them on podcast. I think I said that last week as well. But I'm going to ask, has there been... Any positives from Ranjik's reign? I know it's a bit of a strange question looking at results on the pitch, but I'm thinking maybe the emergence of Anthony Alanya. Um, what do you think across the last seven months? That's for you, Ty, sorry. Um, I didn't, didn't direct it. 
Yeah. He's struggling. He's struggling. Um, come up with yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gathered it was for me. I just didn't have an answer. Um, yeah. I mean, the emergence. Yeah, Alanga. I guess beyond that, there's. You know, there really is very, very little. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think there are any positives really. I mean, we were having this having this conversation with a couple of people at, at Carrington today before the press conference, and I think if if Solskjaer had stayed in charge, I I honestly believe they'd have more points than they do now. I think sacking Solskjaer replacing him with Ranić. I mean, you're going to get the consultancy, but I think you know we'll never know. But I think had Solskjaer stayed in charge, it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been this bad. I don't think there was any improvement whatsoever. Um, and yeah, I just think it's been it's been disastrous for a myriad of reasons. And you know, like, like I said before, Ranić did say today that the, again the wheels fell off after Atletico, but. They, they were appalling in Spain against Atletico. They stole a 1 1 draw there. Yeah. They'd have some terrible performances then. And I think they've, you know, they've played well, I don't know, maybe three games under Ranić. That's probably about it. They've been tactically poor in almost every single match that he's overseen. Um, you know, I mean, it sounds like Palace was the best of it. And I was, uh, I was on a Father Christmas train that day. She so didn't actually get to see it. So it sounds like I missed the best of it. Um, beyond that, it's been it's been tactically disastrous in most games, and I, yeah, I don't think there's any there's any positives really. And I think, like I say, I I honestly think if Solskjaer had stayed, they'd have got more points than this. It would have still been horrific, and they might have got only a few more points than this. But it's been you know it has been a complete disaster really. Samuel, obviously, Ranić's now moving into this consultancy role um, alongside his Austria job. Can you kind of explain to the listeners the details of that? Because they've been quite vague, haven't they, when United have discussed them? Or lack of details, should we say? I honestly I can't. Uh, yeah. I touched upon it earlier that he he mentioned that he, he's in these WhatsApp exchanges that he's had with with Ten Hag that they've discussed the, the nuances of that consultancy role and what it'll entail. And obviously Ten Hag has to have a big say in that because he, he's the one who calls the shots and Rangnick's respectful of that, um, but you know, I, I can't imagine that Ten Hag is going to be looking to Rangnick for consultancy on, on tactics. I, I, very, I even remember at the time thinking, yeah, I'm pretty sure this, this will age reasonably well, but right in January that Rangnick's legacy at United will be transfers, not tactics. And I think that was after the, I think it must have been the Wolves defeat, which again was a was a, a, a bad one. They didn't play well. Wolves were very good at Old Trafford and Wolves were another team that embarrassed United who are also going to finish below them this season. Um, so again, when we get the chance to speak to Ten Hag, we might get something out of him on that, but there's nothing really new to add on on, on that at this stage. Um, he's he, he's right to pick his brains. I mean, I remember when it was Brian Nick's first press conference and he said that he'd been on the phone for uh, for an hour, an hour and a half with with Solskjaer, and you, you, it was difficult to suppress laughing because you thought, well, what, what really could he could he learn from Solskjaer? And maybe in hindsight, we've been been a bit harsh because I mean, I think it's fair to say as as a manager, um, the definition of manager anyway, Solskjaer's probably probably best than Rangnick. Um, I mean, Rangnick's has it's, he has this cultish or had this cultish coaching. Um, following and when he got to one of the highest levels uh, he was he was just exposed on almost a weekly basis and um as i said he's he's his strength has been in recruitment 
United should have made in directs for football three years ago. That, that would have been logical. Um, making a manager was was illogical, but fortunately for us, he you know Ty Ty was struggling to name a positive earlier. The one that springs to mind for me is is his press conferences. And I think supporters would say that as well because he's been very very blunt in his assessment of what's what's gone wrong at the club, and it's been lapped up to such an extent that. I think a lot of supporters have just pretty much absolved him of blame for what's been a really, really dreadful managerial period um, in, in United's history. Like if you're talking about who's even the worst United manager since, you're probably going back to someone like Franco Farrell. I mean, you can't really... David Moyes was a bad man United manager, but um, you know he, he, he had more highs than Rangnick probably. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just it's just gone badly wrong, and he was the the right man in the wrong job at the wrong time, and so the season ends with him talking up the possibility of playing in the Europa League rather than the Conference League. Looking ahead to the weekend, then Ty United travel to Southampton Park on Sunday afternoon. Obviously, the final game of the season. We're going to have a few farewells. Um, obviously, the players leaving on free contracts. Sorry, free transfers. But who else could we see leave the club this summer? So, kind of, we're going to see a few farewells from maybe Phil Jones, do you reckon? Or what do you think going into the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think Jones and Bailly will will go and leave United down to three centre-backs. I'm not sure any of them will play, um, particularly at the weekend. Um, I mean, of those that are likely to play, it's only the ones on free contracts, on free transfers, you would think uh, are going to leave. Beyond that, there's... There's fringe players like Jones and Bailly who will go, but I don't think there'll be loads beyond that. Wamba Saka, of course, but you know he's not he's not going to play. Beyond that, there isn't really room for wholesale changes because of the number of players that that are leaving. Just to take those and throw in Henderson as well. That's nine players straight away that are leaving. Um, and as we've already said, if United sign five players this summer, that's a successful window. So already the squad's going to be smaller than it was last year, which uh, this year, which is no bad thing. But I don't think we'll see, beyond the free transfers, I don't think we'll see um, loads of, of farewells, particularly this weekend. I think that, I mean, it feels like weeks ago now, but, uh, you know, a lot of farewells happened in that Chelsea game. It's been such a, kind of sums up the season, it's been such a bizarre end to United season. The last home game was three weeks before the actual end of the season. They were doing their lap of honour well before everyone else has been doing theirs over the last couple of days. And then their last game of the season is 15 days after they've just bottomed out uh, against Brighton. And this 15-day gap, I think, has been wanted by absolutely nobody. I mean, I can't imagine they've been training with much enthusiasm. So it is, you know, it's such a weird end to the season. I think most of the farewells have probably already been done. The result on Sunday kind of seems trivial, doesn't it, Samuel? But obviously Palace came back. Oh, sorry, they were 2-0 up against Everton and Everton came behind to win 3-2. Um, last night we were recording on the Friday and I think you said after the Brighton game we were recording the podcast that you could easily see United battering um, at Palace and what are your expectations going to the game on Sunday? Um, could you kind of see Palace? Low. Low, low, very low, very low. As always. <laughs> I mean, I think the United have played their hand quite well by informing us that Ten Hag will, will be there because that's public knowledge. The players will be aware of that. It's not going to be a shock to the system for them to turn up and he's there. Um, that I, I do think there'll be something of a reaction there. So I suppose my expectations from post-Brighton to now are slightly higher just because you would hope that you know Ten Hag's presence will jolt some of them. 
even though Rangnick was very, I mean, normally he's very transparent with team news and injury news, but he wasn't today. He was quite coy. He, he said certain players were definitely out, but he didn't want to name them. He said that, um, I mean, this it would be fitting for Phil Jones. I mean, he's, he's injured, so he might not even be in the squad. So he might not get to say farewell if he is indeed sold this summer. Um, but irrespective of who the players are that they put out there, I think United will have a bit more about them than they did at Brighton, which isn't really saying much. But again, if if they if certain players operate at a higher level than they have been recently under Rangnick, again, the supporters entitled to to start chanting, "You're not fit to wear the shirt again," because it's like, well, we'll get our, you know, we'll, we'll I'll raise my performance level for him, but I won't raise it for him, and that's happened since time immemorial with footballers, and sometimes it's just, you know, you you mentally you're beaten to a pulp and you, your heart's not just not in it anymore and you just need someone new to come in but also there's an element of you showing your true colors as to whether you're up to it or not or whether you have the right character um to, to thrive in in that environment irrespective of who the manager is and for, for 26 and a half years united had it on on easy street as far as that was concerned because the manager didn't change but a number of squads various players um you know Sometimes it's, it's the modern footballer, I guess, how how the, the, they're calibrated now. It's it's pretty clear to see that they 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 they're very very good at turning the tap off at will, and you know that that was apparent already before this season. And unfortunately for United, the club then actually decided to not just keep some of those players but reward them with new contracts. I mean, I remember towards the end of Solskjaer's first season. When obviously he, he he was in charge for half of it, but there was that infamous video of Marshall's statuesque uh, warm up. I think before the last before the Chelsea game, which they drew, and it obviously went viral, and there were stories about how Marshall was admonished for that. And already that year, he he'd been given a new contract. And the previous summer, the manager said he's got to go. Uh, the, the club refused to sell him. That's a decision that's just not been justified in any shape whatsoever. That's that's just a random example at will. And you know, part of me is kind of expecting Alex Tellers to play well at the weekend because you know there's there's something in it for him, and he's about to go on away on international duty with Brazil. But again, he's a he's he's a player that I think the pattern of his performances have been that he's actually played quite well when he's on the verge of going to link up with the Brazil squad, and that's. That's another reason why he should be sold. He probably won't be because there are two fullbacks um, that they want to get rid of ahead of him. But if if I was a supporter in the away end this weekend, I, I, I there are probably you, you could count on one hand how many are how many of those players that are probably going to play that I've got time for. That's that's just the way it's gone this season, and it's been interesting that during these these flawed but obviously you know quite captivating protests. The protesters have made it abundantly clear that the players have been targeted as well. There's obviously been a lack of leaders in that dressing room. We all know that. And I would, that kind of leads into my next question, Ty, to end the podcast. A nice little segue. Um, Bruno Fernandes is the vice captain at the club. He's been captain in recent weeks with Maguire absent. With Ten Hag at the game on at the weekend, is he going to be looking at that side and thinking, right, who's going to be my captain next season? Because it kind of looks inevitable that Maguire's going to lose the armband. And I know we did a piece in with um, Daniel Murphy, our colleague, and kind of looked at the candidates at the club to be captain. So what do you think that decision is going to be? Who's going to get the armband next season? Yeah, it's an interesting one because there doesn't 
look to be like so I think it I think it's in Maguire's interest to not be captain anymore I think he needs to be told just focus on your on your football and your own game because on current form you probably wouldn't get in the team especially not if United sign a centre-back so I think he needs to be told this is for your benefit you need to focus on getting back to your best but I think he's a better captain than Fernandez. I think Fernandez is a poor captain and poor attitude as captain and I don't think that works I mean, I go with Ronaldo. I think I, I mean, I did a piece on on this a few weeks ago, and I was absolutely amazed. He's done. I think he's won 129 caps as captain of Portugal. I, you know, I couldn't believe he'd captained them that many times. It was over 120 times he's captained Portugal. He's been their permanent captain for 11 years, which which amazed me. I didn't know it'd been that much. And you think yeah. of the leaders in that Portugal team, and he's captaining them. You know, he's he's clearly got leadership experience. I don't think he's captained a club team for. I think he captained United once. I think he captained him in that Wolves game this season that they lost. Um, before that, I think it's back to Real Madrid times for the last time he was a captain. But he's leading an international side that's full of big characters like Pepe and Fernandez, um, you know, plenty of others in that Portugal team. So I think he'd be a worthy candidate. And I think, you know, when there's always been this fascination in the Premier League and the English national team about captains, whereas in you know, on the continent, I don't think they care as much. And it tends to be the armband just gets given to the most experienced player. And to a degree, there might be some of that with, with Ronaldo at Portugal and the fact that he's, he was the biggest name player. But the fact he's captained for so long, they've had good tournaments, they've won a trophy in that period. So he knows about leadership. So I think I'll be tempted, even just for a year, to say, you're captain next season. And, you know, it, it's another reason for him to stay. It's another reason to inspire him. He's never captained a club team properly before four seasons. So so I think I'd go with, with Ronaldo, to be honest, simply because there's there's very few other candidates. He seems like the most logical fit, doesn't he, from, mm. from the bunch. Um, thanks as usual for your time, guys. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Tyrone. Thanks, Stephen. It's been a pleasure, gents, and thanks to listeners as usual. Have a great weekend and take care. Thank you. Thank you.